some who love Jesus and some who are totally antagonistic in, to God. So it was a very uh, unique situation for her to preach her brother's funeral sermon, really. Um, and that was the support system there. So uh, she did great. You'd be proud of her. Hey, this morning, uh, we're going to start a new series called uh, Broken and Restored because that's who we are in Jesus. We were broken apart from him and have been restored. And there are various passages in the gospel where, uh, the gospels where Jesus is sharing uh, that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and die. And sometimes it's not very well received. I, I think in the context, each one has a unique message for us. So we're going to look at those instances over the next four weeks as we lead into Easter uh, about why did Jesus need to die? Why did he come to this earth? And I know that there's a, this is like basic Christianity 101. But if my experience over 30 years of pastoring has taught me anything, it's this, that the things that I assume are basic and known in people's hearts and lives, they are not necessarily known and loved in people's hearts and lives. Um, there's an assumption about various aspects of the life of Jesus. Uh, here I am. Here I am. It's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> that uh, we all need to pick up on. In, uh, in 1893, the World's Fair was held in Chicago. And at that World's Fair, um, they had brought in what is known today as um, the Chicago Stump. The Chicago Stump was a giant sequoia tree from Kings Canyon in California. They cut it down, unfortunately. There was a 295 feet tree called the General Noble Tree. It had been cut down. They had put it in sections and shipped it to Chicago to show the size of these trees. And at the World's Fair, um, they didn't believe them. They believed it's right in front of them. They showed them a picture and still believed that it was a hoax. They called it the California hoax. Why? Because their minds could not get around, so to speak, a tree that big. They, they, they had experience with trees. They'd seen trees. We have trees in Chicago. We have trees on this part of the United States. But a 295-foot tree where you can get 20-something men around? No chance. This is a hoax. Because, see, our view of truth, please listen to me, our view of truth is many times filtered through our experience. And we interpret what we believe to be true based on that experience. This should be a lesson to all of us, by the way. That really, apart from Jesus, apart from God, the way, the truth, and the life, we cannot interpret truth properly because it will always be filtered through our experience. We could broaden this topic, but I really want to look at it in relationship to Jesus. In a, in a book called Biblical Critical Theory, which is not a bad book, by the way, just because it has the terms critical theory in it, uh, the author is, it says this, 
Consider the example of a group of people marching down the street, holding banners and chanting. Some of us will experience that event as a powerful expression of public democracy, others as a threat to public order, and still others as the promising beginnings of a larger uprising. Now, the, the parade, so to speak, the march, whatever you want to call it, it is something. It's going on. But what the author is saying is we many times filter what is going on through the lens of our experience and what we come out with on the other side may be very radically different. I may see it as one thing. Lexi may see it as another thing. Um, Chris may see it as another thing. Cindy is another. Why? Because we're filtering the, we're all looking at the same thing but we see it differently. We say, well, what does this have to do with the cross? Because there are so many views of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? I mean, if you talk to Isaiah, to some people, they look at the Gospels and they come away with Jesus as a great teacher. Some people come away with Jesus was a, was a radical who impacted culture. Some come away with Jesus was a, was a, a person of great influence. I, I, we're looking at Jesus. We're looking at the Gospels, the record of Jesus. And depending on many things in our hearts and lives, we come away with a different Jesus. And what I would like to do just here for a minute is try to focus us on who is Jesus, and why did we need the cross? This is a really important message, and it, it will impact every moment for the, not only the rest of your life, but for all eternity. When you come to some sort of understanding of who Jesus is. Now, I don't want to make fun of us too much. I've been making fun of the apostles a lot lately because... As you look at them, they're having the same struggle. Who is this guy? What is going on in the context of what Jesus, who Jesus is and his teaching and the Messiah and Christ? They all had these expectations that they're placing on him. And you see it in their discussions and the things that are going on. So I want to look at this. And let me divert just one more second briefly. One of the things we attempt to do here at Fullness is we want to be a people who worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. That's really the formation of who we are as a church. 100% of the spirit of God, 100% of the word of God. Not a 50-50 deal, 100% of both. And one of my goals over the last 30 years is to try and teach the word of God and even more importantly, to try to teach you how to read the Word of God. Because so many times I have had people say to me, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand how to read the Bible, or I don't get something from it when I read it, and I, I don't know what to do. And so it's been my goal to try and help you and me learn how to read the Word of God. So one of, um, there's different types of literature. I'm not going to go too far down this trail, but there's different kind of literature in the Bible, and one of the things we have are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke are narratives. They're called the synoptics. They, they tell the life of Jesus. John has a whole different is a whole different type of literature. It, it reads differently. It's not a synop. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you read about these accounts of Jesus, and you re- read the synoptics, the synopsis of what's going on in Jesus' life. And many times we don't understand that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're writing to a different audience. Each one has a different target that they're trying to hit. And they, they put the story together. They're not inaccurate, but they... They put it in a way that has a theological idea. So, for instance, today we're going to look at some accounts, like the rich young ruler, the healing of the blind men. The, the, but, and you, you, you pull these stories out and you look at them, you examine them, you dissect them, but sometimes we don't look at them in the flow of the entire conversation. To say, what is Matthew in Matthew 19 and 20 trying to communicate to us? Because I believe he's trying to communicate something very important. And it's, who is Jesus and why did he need to go to the cross? And so in chapter 9, I'm going to summarize and then I'm going to focus, okay? I'm going to summarize and then I'm going to... So backing up into chapter 19, you have this... Uh, count, and I could go further, but I'm going to just go to 19. I don't want to do the whole Gospel of Matthew. I, hey, by the way, you get bonus points for coming to church on Time Change Sunday. Um, get a couple of stars in your crown. And if you're on time, you get double stars. So, <laughs> for those of you who made it here. Okay, back to the, the idea. The, 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 the children start pressing in to come see Jesus. And you know, the disciples are trying to push him back, saying, eh, no, 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 we don't want the kids. You know, they're disruptive, and they're kids. And Jesus says this. He says, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Children, the idea of the heart of a child. Next account, right after that, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, asking what he must do to be saved. Jesus tells him to go sell everything, give to the poor, um, and... He goes away sad because he has much, and, the, and Jesus says to his disciples, it's, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Boom, their minds are blown because in their theology, wealth equaled God's favor, right? Wealth equals God's favor. So they're like, hey, who can, if this guy can't be saved, who can be saved? And he says, He looks at them and says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Two accounts right next to each other. Children come as a child. Rich man has a divided heart. It's hard for him to get in the kingdom, but with God, everything is possible. Then Jesus um, teaches them a parable about the workers, the laborers. Um, guy goes to get some labors, you know the parable, uh, brings some in, promises them some money if they'll work all day. They come and work. Some later workers come, he promises them the same pay. Later workers, same pay. Later workers, same pay. And by the end, uh, when he pays everybody, the guys who came first say, hey, this isn't fair. And, you know, Jesus teaches them a par- is teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about whether you come early or late, you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get me, is what he's trying to say to them. 
You're going to inherit the kingdom. And he closes, and he also closed that chapter 19 out with the same idea. You'll see it several times. I'm not just, by the way, look up here. I'm not just making this up. I've done that before, but I'm not making this up. You'll see these phrases that connect these stories at the end of 19 and then here in 20 and later in 20 where he's saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. That's at the end of 20, verse 16. And then he starts teaching them that he's going to have to go and suffer at the hands of angry men. And he's, he's telling them that um, he's going to have to give his life. His disciples say to him that, oh, let me back up, I'm getting my stories all kind of mixed up. James and John come to him and say, hey, when you enter your kingdom, well, it's not even James and John, they send their mommy uh, to talk to Jesus. Um, and she comes and says, hey, can my son sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? They obviously display a lack of understanding of the type of kingdom Jesus is coming into. They've been with him. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is not like early on. You know, he's about to go up to Jerusalem and die. And the, and the mom comes and says, sit on your right and left. Fight breaks out. Disciples get all upset at each other. We'll come back to it in just a second. And... He, he basically says to them, it, it, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave, must be last. Just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is teaching them about who he is and what he's doing and that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die and that this is not the type of leader I've come to be. And then um, immediately after this, he's leaving Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, headed to the cross. The two um, blind men are right outside the city. They are yelling for Jesus to heal them. Jesus heals them of their sight. He asks them what they want, heals them of their sight, they're healed, and they follow him. Now, try to keep all of this in your head as we move forward. I know it's a bunch of stories, but I believe that they're all connected and all have to do with the meaning of both the parable of the workers and what is the kingdom of God, and more importantly, our need. What do we need? What do we find in the cross? Why did Jesus have to come. So let's go back and revisit these. You with me so far? Everybody good? Okay. First thing is this. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on verses 17 of chapter 20 to the end of chapter 20 from here on out. But remember all the stories and parables that have come before this. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. 
So this is the third time in the book of Matthew Jesus has told them what's going to happen. But in this telling them about what he's going to do and die, there's this, the implication is he's not surprised by this. The cross didn't come as a shock to Jesus. The, The death that he suffered, this is why he came to go to the cross. To die. Why? Because we, we need a Savior. You see, you don't need an earthly king. You don't need someone who's just a great teacher. You don't need someone who can proclaim morals to you on how to live your life. Your need is worse than that and bigger than that. You need to have someone who can save you from your sins. And only Jesus fits that bill. Focusing on the what, who Jesus is is critical here. You can't just view Jesus as this teacher or proclaimer of morals or man who changed a society. Instead, you, you need to see Jesus as the one who came to, to save. It says in Luke that the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save what was lost. Well, what was lost? Us. We're. And his death provides the way for us to be saved. For our sins to be paid for. Because, as we know in Romans, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is what? death. And Paul makes it clear in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that you have no currency to save yourself. You have no ability to to take care of your sin problem. But Jesus does. And Jesus did. He went to the cross to die so that we could be saved from death. Spiritual ultimate death. I was running with Dave the other day. I know, I started like half my stories. I was running with Dave the other day. And um, we were talking about this, and Dave was 20 years old, not a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, we were talking about the, the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And, um, you know, we're, we're from that era. And um, Dave had been given a New Testament the way. It was kind of a like the New Living Translation. It was the Living Translation back then. It wasn't even new. We're so old. It wasn't even new at that time. It was just the Living Translation of the Bible. And he read the whole New Testament all the way through, being Dave, and then went to a, a, a Bible study and walked into the Bible study and said, I've read this whole thing. I have one question. Why did he have to die? Why did he have to die? Now, as a pastor, I'm like, that's like a cue up. You know, that's like a, don't you wish people would ask you that question? They, they, got, they get the Jesus part, but they don't understand. Why did he have to die? He had to die because we needed a savior. We needed one who would come, seek, and to save that which was lost, me and you. If you look to any other kind of Jesus, you're going to miss the Jesus that came. 
you're going to miss why he was here. Now, I know this is basic Christianity just right at the core of it, but if we don't get this, we'll miss everything else. This is critical for us because we, we need a Savior. It says in Hebrews, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's what? Without Jesus' shed blood on a cross, there's no forgiveness. That's the whole passage in Hebrews is teaching us. We need the cross. Jesus went to die for you and me because we need a Savior. Then, moving on to the next story, we need a, a leader who serves. We, we, we need one who can lead us out from where we were. And the type of leader in this society that was held up as a model for leadership was a, a command and a control kind of leader. I'll tell you what to do, you do it. Oh, by the way, we have the same kind of leaders today, right? Command and control, those who want to control everything. Jesus type of leadership is lay his life down and to serve. The Gentile model, as he's going to say, is the model that demands that you do what I tell you to do. Jesus' model is this. I'm going to serve you out of love into this kingdom. So here's what happens. You know the story. I'll read the passage, though. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. And if you're James and John are the sons of Zebedee. By the way, uh, some tradition holds that the, the mother of Zebedee's sons was Salome, who's seen at the foot of the cross in other Gospels, and is the sister to Mary. So if that's true, Mary's sister, then James and John are cousins to Jesus. So church tradition in many sectors holds to this, not for sure. But she kneels down. So if that's true, his aunt is coming to him and saying, Hey, nephew, I got a favor to ask. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Yes, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. This is unbelievable. And I think Matthew places this story perfectly. The children, let the little children come. Rich young ruler, got to sell all you've got. You've got to give your life away. You've got to serve parable of the workers next door. It's like, what are these people listening to? What have they been? The next thing they know, I, my son sit at your right and left. By the way, don't, don't think James and John don't know what's going on here. They're not, they're not like, oh, geez, my mom. You know, I, she's out of control. She's a helicopter mom. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. No, no. They, must, they put her up to this. She, they all are in on this. But it's, it's like they haven't been listening. 
to what Jesus says. They don't even know what kind of kingdom Jesus... They're, they're like, we want to sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom. Why? Because they saw Jesus as a political figure who's going to kick out Rome, take over. We're going to, the nation's going to rise back up. And when it does, can we sit at your right and left? I mean, there's so much going on here in their misperception about who Jesus is. And they've been with him three years. And you want to say, guys, wake up. But you know what? We'd be just as clueless if we were there. We just would, because they're filtering their view of Jesus through what? Their truth and their experience. They had, they'd been told, here's what the Messiah is going to look like when he comes. He's the Messiah. We know he is. We've seen it. He heals. He teaches. He does all this stuff. He's the Messiah. So when it happens, here's what it's going to look like. Have you ever thought of the possibility that your views of Jesus are so skewed that when he moves, you're going to miss it because you say, oh, he can't do that? Or he doesn't work like that? Maybe it's time for us to broaden and to say, you know what? God can do anything he wants. He, he, we, rather than trying to predict and plan Say, here's what God can do. I'm going to plan to meet that. We need to prepare our hearts and move when he moves. Participate with him. The other disciples were so excited to hear this news about James and John. You guys, you're such leaders. You're so aggressive. No, no. When the ten heard about this, they were what? Ticked off. That's another way of in, interpreting indignant. With the two brothers. They're not even calling them by name. Those two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, I mean, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a church split on his hands. That's going to happen really quick. Jesus called them together and says this, you idiots. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. That'd be me. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to do what? Again, he's bringing it back to the cross. A ransom for many. This is my purpose. I didn't come to... I didn't, I, I mean, think about it. Jesus is God incarnate. He's God in human flesh. If there's anyone who could have said, you guys, y'all need to serve me. It's the one who created the universe. It's the one who created us. The one who controls everything. I mean, he has the right to say, serve me. But he instead is coming to say, I'm going to model for you a new way to lead. And it's this, lay your life down. Give it away. You see, the apostles, they wanted the crown. They didn't want the cross. They wanted, they wanted that name recognition. They wanted position. They wanted power. They wanted authority. And Jesus says, this is not you. You're going to model after me. And I came to seek and to save that which was lost and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Meaning, I'm going to, ransom is a, is a judicial term. It's a, it's a, 
it's a term to say payment, to, to say who's going to declare you not guilty. You know, there's one thing to be, we need a savior, like the consequences of death. It's a whole different thing to be declared not guilty. You, you with me? I mean, it's a whole different level here to say you're going to be, you know, here's the problem. We all know we're guilty. Every single one in this room, we, we can say, no, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. But instead, because of what Jesus did for us, our need is for a, a leader who serves in a way that lays his life down so that he pays the price so that we can be declared not guilty. This is good news. This is unbelievable news. I was reading about Gideon today. I love the story of Gideon. It cracks me up all the time. I don't... I'm not the only one who laughs when they read the Bible at some of these stories. But I mean, Gideon, he, he's, he's hiding from the Midianites. The Midianites are the power. This is in the book of Judges. Hiding from the Midianites are the power. Angel appears to him and says, Hail, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who, who, who's, he, who's he talking to? Because he's hiding out, not wanting to see anybody. And the angel's See, God sees you not for who you are, but for who he declares you to be. And he'll say over you, hey, mighty woman of valor, and you want to look in the mirror and say, that's not me. Maybe it's time we stood up and said, I'm going to be who God declares me to be. That's a good sermon in itself, don't you think? Here's something that will stretch you too. How about declaring to the people around you that they are who God declares them to be? I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm who God declares me to be. It's another thing to look at your spouse or your children or other people and mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, let's go. Rather than being critical or seeing them as something less than. Gideon goes on. Here's the part that cracks me up. He goes, you know the story of Gideon. He starts with a big army, whittles it down to just 300. He's getting ready, sneaks down in the camp. Here's a guy say this. This is the part that cracks me up. One of the Midianites says, I had a dream last night. I said, well, what kind of dream? Another guy said, what kind of dream? I saw this barley loaf come out of the mountains and roll down and run into one of our tents. And the other one says to him, oh, that has to be Gideon and his army. We're doomed. Now, you're not laughing like I did. It's a barley loaf. A barley loaf comes down from the mountain, hits our tent. Oh, that means Gideon's going to kick us. Gideon goes back and says, guys, it's time. God has given them into our hands. And with 300 men, a couple of lanterns, and some trumpets, they defeat the Midianites. Why? Because God did it. God did it, and there was a leader who would say, I'm going to follow God. Jesus, who is God, laid his life down as a ransom for many. Now, James and John, by the way, this whole cup thing, cup is kind of, symbolic of suffering, they're going to they're gonna endure it. James is the first of the apostles who's martyred in Acts 12. 
John, on the other hand, is going to be the last of the apostles to die. But many, uh, his life was hard. It was a, it was a, you know, sometimes there's worse things than death. Sometimes living is hard. And John endured a lot, exile and persecution and seeing all his friends die before him. And, I mean, he did great things, but they both drank the cup in different ways. My cup is not your cup. It's different. But Jesus came because we need a Savior and we need one who leads us out. And then finally, we also need a healer. We need a healer. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd said, come on in. No, they said, they rebuked him. These two blind beggars, these two blind guys, they don't need, you know, quit bothering us. Told them to be quiet. I love this. They shouted all the louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Now, again, this is, there are these questions that crack me up at times. I mean, they're blind. That seems pretty obvious, Jesus. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I, I, I can see that they need to see. But he wants them to declare their need before him. What do you need? Because I think in some ways he's saying, what kind of Jesus do you want? They answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Followed him. <clears throat> we need a healer, people. We need a, peop we need, we need a Jesus who can heal us from the devastating effects of our sins in our lives. We need one who can set us free. Jesus claimed, came to set free those who are oppressed, to heal the blind. And I believe both physically and spiritually, we need this Jesus who can heal us. I believe that these two blind guys are the summary of everything that's taken place in the past chapter and a half. It's wound into these two blind guys. Why? Because they're coming like children. They have nothing to offer except their need. They're latecomers to the party. Jesus is on the way. They, he contrasts the two blind guys with the two apostles. They knew what they needed versus what James and John wanted. People, you, you, you don't get to come to Jesus and say, here's... Instead, you come and just say, here's what... Jesus, I'm blind. I, I, I'm not demanding to sit on your right or your left. What I need is a Savior who can lead me out of this place and can heal me and restore me. That's what you need. And that's what I need. And any other Jesus is going to be inadequate. 
Any other Jesus is not going to take you where you really need to be. And it's wound up in the cross and the resurrection. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to continue to look at the power of the cross. It's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Without Jesus, you can't even conceive. There is immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within you. And you can't even dream it up on your own. But he has plans for you. God has revealed it to us. How? By his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Listen, at times, we're like, we're like the blind leading the blind. Why? Because many times the church is proclaiming a different Jesus. I, this sounds really harsh, and I'm not trying to throw stones at other churches. Listen, we've made mistakes, tons of them. But the one thing we've tried to do is hold up on a consistent basis who is Jesus? Why did he come? What, what, what will he do when we allow him to move in our midst? And if you may have a lot of different answers to this question, but the one thing I know is he'll save you. He'll lead you out. He'll restore you. This morning, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever's going on into your life, to receive this Jesus. Because your life will be changed forever. You'll walk out the destiny that he has for you. And all that he plans and intends. Stand up with me if you would. Lord, we declare today that you are the God who seeks and, dis and saves. That you laid your life down as a ransom for many, including me. And that, Lord, you have a plan, a destiny, a purpose for my life. And so, Lord, I pray that that plan, that purpose, that destiny will be fulfilled. Thank you that you not only forgive me, but that you lead me, that you restore me. Not for my glory, but for yours. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, God, that we're like these two blind guys. We are poor and we are powerless. But God, you have the answers. You're the one who saves. I want to encourage you just, I, I know... Many times we get to this point and you're thinking about what's next in your life. You know, when you leave here, where you're headed to lunch, what's going to be going on. But I want to encourage you right now to just focus on the Lord. Let him speak to your heart and your life. And maybe you've been a follower of Christ for many, many years. I think God is always in the process of doing something new in our hearts and lives. 
He's in the process of moving. If you'll just come to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm weak, you're strong. I am poor, you're rich. I'm blind, but you can help me see. Maybe you're here today and you've never received this Jesus. Maybe you've never received the Jesus who can save you from your sins, who can lead your life, who can restore you. I want to encourage you this morning to take a moment and just pray to him. Open your heart and your life to the Lord. We're going to sing this song as an act of worship, but as we do, just allow God to do his work in your heart and in your life in the moments ahead.